Let me tell you something. The American Psychological Association did a survey. Three out of four Americans report monthly physical symptoms related to stress. 95%, this is a side note, just, just file this away, 95% of those say they watch the news on a regular basis. I'm just going to leave that right there. 73% of students grades 9 through 12, and that's who we're honoring this morning. That's who just graduated, fixing to face life head on. 73% of high school students worry about the future. 34% of those that were surveyed say all the time. You know, we all tend to be tense about the future, me included. You know, when we face things that we don't know, that we can't plan. Now, some of us are planners. You know, some of us like to have it all planned out. I'm spontaneous. When we go on vacation, I like to know where that road goes. I'm that guy, you know. And I have found some really cool stuff. I drive by old abandoned houses. I wonder what that, what's on the inside of that house, you know. And I've never been arrested. But I'm always curious, what's in that old abandoned house, you know. What kind of old antiques, you know. You can't take them, you know, because they don't belong to you. I uh, used to, but I wouldn't anymore. And, uh, but, you know, and I'm always curious about the unknown. My wife's not. My wife likes to have a plan. So, um... So that's the reason God puts us together, balance each other out, because I would have done been arrested like in old abandoned houses somewhere. Anyway, but we all have this ten- tension about the future, about the unknown, and that's why Jeremiah 29 11 is so important to us. Because when we don't know, it's very comforting to know that He does. When we don't know what's ahead, we take comfort in knowing that He knows it all. That he's already planned out not just everything else, but planned out our life. And that our future is already known by someone. It's known by him. And we can take comfort in that. But did you ever notice about Jeremiah 29, 11? I hope we can like uh, give a fresh perspective on this scripture. Because a lot of us read this scripture and we read it like, I have, uh, I've already planned out your future and here's what you're going to do. And that's not what he says. He says, I know my plans for you. I know my thoughts toward you. See, he's not telling you what your future holds. He's not even saying that he knows. Now he does, but he's not even saying that he knows what your future holds. He's only telling you what his intentions are for you. He's only telling you this. He said, this is what I want to happen in your life. So what's the difference between what he wants to happen and what will happen? It's you. Your decision to plan your own life or to accept his plan for your life. Um, so why is God's plan better than mine? You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of us have, uh, uh, have children that are either grown up and gone through school. I've actually, uh, if you don't know, my wife and I have five children. We have one that's graduated, one that's going to graduate next year, and then we have a three-year-old. So we're in this game for the long haul. And, um, and we, just, we just realized, though, that our two oldest, uh, one has graduated, one's going to graduate next year. We just realized that if they go off, get married, we're just going to be a normal family. We'll just have three kids just like everybody else. And so that's, that's going to be weird. And we're just going to, like, take vacations and spend all kinds of money on ourselves. No, but, so we're just going to act like everybody else does instead of, you know, scraping every penny. Um, so why is God's plan better than my plan. 
Our plan versus his plan. Are you ready? I'm going to give you... uh, This is the analogy that I like to tell teenagers who uh, insist on dating everything they're attracted to. And, uh, and, you know, so eager to get out there in the dating world. Let me tell you this about dating. Uh, for all you single people, pay attention. 7.7 billion people in the world. In case you don't know what that number looks like, 3.8 billion of those are women for guys. A little bit less for men, but not much. It's almost 50-50. 2 billion women... Ages 17 to 24. We would consider that, uh, you know, marrying age. Now, I know there's a lot of single people in the world, but I'm saying if you just graduated high school, I don't think you're going to be looking for somebody older than 24. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should just keep it that. So, definitely not younger than 17. So, so 17 to 24, we'll just narrow it down to that. Now, let me tell you the number of days you have between ages 17 and 24. If you want to get married between 17 and 24, you have 2,555 days. 2,555 days, ages 17 to 24, equals 783,000 dates per day, seven days a a week. So every day, you're going to have to date over three-quarters of a million, or three, I'm sorry, yeah, three-quarters of a million women to meet every one of them. That's a date. So if you take a date with a different girl every weekend, which is ambitious, okay, you have point zero 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 two percent chance of meeting the one that God has made specifically for you. All right, so just a little perspective there. Sometimes we need to get everything back in perspective. And I was thinking about, y'all, y'all forgive me. Have y'all seen Dumb and Dumber where uh, Lloyd, Lloyd looks at her, she, he said, so what you're saying is, there's a chance. Do y'all remember that part? <laughs> when she's like, you know, not in a million years. You know, so what you're saying is there's a chance. Um, versus this. Um, I had just gotten out of a, um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't call any of them relationships. Um, but I had uh, been dating this girl for a little while. And it was about the serious, uh, serious uh, most serious relationship that I had had up to that point. And we were actually talking, you know, about, you know, uh, what kind of house you know you, you start having those conversations if you're with somebody for a little while and it just ended really badly and I'll tell you why it ended badly is because the Holy Spirit ended it and I couldn't not I could not be happy I was absolutely tore miserable the whole time and I was fighting fighting y'all y'all know how you we do you know we, we fight to stay in something even though God has already said no and so I got out of that relationship and I just said God I am done and I know a lot of you can relate to this. I said, God, I'm done. I'm going to serve you with my singleness, you know, for the rest of my life if you want me to. I'm just going to... And then almost immediately, I was sitting down at a table at a missions banquet across from a girl that I had never even considered as a candidate at all. And something clicked And something I had never felt before came alive in me as we sat across from each other and we talked about life and what we wanted out of life and God said, that's it, that's the one. And I had just started talking to her and I knew we were going to get married. I knew God put us together. I knew the whole thing was orchestrated by God and he was waiting for the moment for me to give up looking so he could bring the right one into my life. So which plan? My plan or his plan? After that, I choose his plan because that is the way it is in every facet of our life. He knows and he wants to tell us or we could choose we don't know, we guess and we mess it up. 
So why wouldn't we choose his awesome plan for our life? It really is a mystery because when we put it out like this, you know, it's just like, well, of course, you know. Of course I'm going to choose his plan. But we don't. And so we want to know. So let's talk about why. When I give a gift to my wife, I said I give a gift to my wife. I'm going to tell you, flesh that out a little bit. No matter how small it is, she accepts it as a token of my devotion to her. It symbolizes my love. Men, am I right? When you, women, am I right? When I, when I give a gift to my wife, it doesn't matter how small it is. It says, I'm thinking about you. I'm committed to you. I got this for you as a token of my thoughts toward you. Now, what my wife really wants is a silver Audi. She had a 1981 81 silver Audi sedan, the ugliest car you've ever seen, but she loved that car. So ever since then, she's wanted an Audi, you know, TT or an A9 or, you know, whatever the most expensive Audi is, you know, which is completely the opposite of the car she had. But anyway, no. Uh, so she just, she said, she just wants an, a silver Audi sedan again. Well, I can't go out and buy her a silver Audi sedan because we have five children and they won't fit in a two-seater Audi, you know, or, a, or even a four-seater Audi. It doesn't matter. So here's, let me, let me put this in front of you. What happens when a man shows up I'm not at home. A man shows up at the doorstep and he has the keys to the Audi A8 or whatever, you know, the one that was in Mission Impossible or whatever, you know. And he, and he holds the keys out and he said, I just wanted to give this to you. Well, after he picks up his front teeth, if I'm home, you know, or if she's home, she'd probably knock his front teeth out. Um, she would reject it. And I know that because I asked her, you would reject it, right? She said, yeah, I would reject it. Okay, I was just making sure, you know, that you don't want the silver alley that much, you know. Um, so she would reject it because no matter how much she wants the gift, it represents a deviation from what's in her heart for me. So let me ask you this. And I want you to really hear me. Is God's gift to you a deviation from what's in your heart for another? When God comes with the future and the hope, why don't we accept it? Maybe it's because it's a deviation from what's in our heart. Because let me tell you this. It's about what the gift represents. Because God's gift of a future and a hope, make no mistake, has strings attached to it. God wants to give you a future and a hope. And you say, that doesn't sound right. It's right. Trust me. God's gift to you has strings attached to it because it's presented to you on bended knee. God gives you the present of a future and a hope and he holds it out and he gets down on one knee and he says, will you be mine? I have a future and I have a hope. I have a planned destiny for you. Will you accept me? Will you accept my gift for you? And that's the same way, see, we have no problem seeing it in our own marriages, in our own relationships. But God is no different. God created you. He created love. He created you with a future and a hope, but he created you with a need to have that commitment to him uh, as he gets down on that bending knee. So is there something, or there is something deeper than just the gift. It's what it represents. All right. So what other love is keeping you out of a marriage relationship with the king of the universe? And let me ask you this. Is it worth it? 
Are they worth it? You know, how many of you know people and then uh, they just, they, they always end up with the worst people. And you're like, you're so much better than that. Why do you end up with those people? You ever wonder if God says that about you? All right. See, we're talking about why so many of us are tense over the future. We're talking about why we have this worry, this anxiety, this fear about the unknown. And is it because so many of us have created our own present? And now we're responsible for our own future. See, God holds the future and the hope. But if we do it ourselves, we say, no, nah, I like to have control. Okay, here you go. Here's your control. And now we have anxiety. So why do we have this anxiety? It's because we've created this reality. We've got to maintain it, but we don't even know what's coming. There's so many variables, so many unknowns. I'm just going to kind of breeze through. Isaiah 53 says this. I'm just going to kind of hit some points through here. Um, It says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in the ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away and we have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And it goes on and on and on. And this is in Isaiah. Actually, this is 800 years before Jesus came. Isaiah is prophesying about how Je- the price that Jesus would pay. And we stop there and we say, wow, Jesus, thank you. You endured so much. And wow, it's so awesome that, you, that God uh, shared this with us 800 years before it happened. So we would know that it was true. But a lot of us stop right there. But you've got to read on. You've got to read into Isaiah 54 because... That was 800 years before Jesus was born. Some 3,000 years before you and I were born. And it describes the price that Jesus paid. But Isaiah 54 isn't about Jesus. Isaiah 54 is about you. Isaiah 53 talks about the price that Jesus paid. Isaiah 54 starts this way. Sing, O childless woman, you, have never, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Pay attention. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home. Spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Fear not. You, who, uh, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. And it goes on and on. And that one is for you. Jesus, Isaiah 53, despised, stricken, afflicted, wounded, bruised, oppressed. These are the, uh, what is used to describe Jesus in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 54, this is you. These are the, the adjectives used to describe you. Enlarged, strengthened, expanded, unashamed, unafraid, protected. Y'all get the picture? Because of what he did, you will do. Because of what he lost, you now have. Because of what he bore, you will be freed from. His promises to you are presented on bended knee. And can I tell you that if you're already his, that's already yours. He's not going to propose to you again. 
You know, if he's already put a ring on it, then you already belong to him. And all those promises aren't promises anymore. They're yours. Everything that I have is my wife's. Everything that she has is mine. That's the way it works with God. That's what he said. That's what your covenant with him is like. So his intentions are your reality. So why are we so tense about the future? Can you imagine if I saved every penny to buy my wife her Audi? And I gave her the keys and she set them on the kitchen table and they stayed there forever. And she never drove it. My baby, this is what you've always wanted. How insulting was that? But that would hurt me. I saved so long to buy you this car. And uh, actually, I, I would have taken out a great big loan and I'd be paying on it for the rest of my life to get you this car. And instead, she chooses to drive that old clunker that keeps breaking down, and I gotta go keep fixing that thing. She'll break down somewhere, and I gotta go. This isn't real. She has a nice car. But I'm saying, you know, but this is the way God looks at us. He's like, I bought you a new Audi, and you're driving that old clunker, and I gotta keep coming and jumping you off. I gotta find you out in the, you know, out there, and I've gotta come and fix your car all the time. But I bought you a new Audi. Why aren't you driving it? Hey, um, so. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Uh, when we were in Louisiana, and it's a little unrelated, but I've got to tell the story because it's just so funny. Um, we were in Louisiana, we were living in Louisiana, and we wanted a car, a new car, really bad. Because if you have a car that keeps breaking down, all you want is a new car, right? So um, we were driving, I had a 72 Ford pickup, which was awesome. Had 390 with dual glass packs, it was awesome. But it wasn't a family car at all. It was cold-natured. When it was time to go, it wasn't ready to go. So, and then we had an 81 Audi, which we inherited, which broke down very quickly. Uh, and then her parents um, uh, gave us their Neon, uh, which at that time was a cool car, you know, the Dodge Neon, you know. And uh, I had a paper route, uh, and I ran off the road when I forgot my coffee, and I fell asleep, ran off and hit a culvert and totaled it out. So now we didn't have anything, you know. And so we're like looking for something, looking for something. And so we went to this car, like, y'all ever got these in the mail? You know, it's like, if you're, this key, you know, starts the car, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, these big ones, I'll take the chance, you know. And the key did fit, you know, and everything. And they're like, okay, come on, let's talk. And I'm like, wait a minute, my car, you know, and they're like pulling me away. And we go into an office for like, I, I'm not exaggerating. If I'm not mistaken, it was either two or three hours. Started out one guy. By the end of it, there were like 12 people in there. And they were taking turns. And it was like they were all around me. And so anyway, the top, the head guy. Oh my gosh. This, if you, I'm telling you it's the truth. Okay, you just have to trust me. You just have to believe that this happened. Okay. So the main guy with everybody around, he says, he says, I see here that you work at a church. I said, yes, sir. I'm a youth pastor at Victor. He's like, okay, well, the only reason I'm asking you that is to ask you this. So you don't think I'm being sacrilegious when I say, could you believe God for that extra $50 a month? No, sir, I've already told you what I can afford, you know. And uh, he's like, okay, okay. He said, because I got to tell you. He said, I used to be children's pastor for that guy on TV. What, what, what was the name? What's the name? And uh, somebody said, Joel Osteen? Yeah, yeah, Joel Osteen. <laughs> Whatever. He's lost me at this point. And uh, this other woman in there, you know, with too much makeup, she's like, oh, I love his wife's hair. You know, and I'm just like, what is going on here? And uh, he said, he said, he said, because I got to tell you. He said, uh, he said, I was just, he said, that old car, that old thing you're driving right now, it's going to break down. He said, the other day I was up in Shreveport and my blankety blank transmission went out. And then the whole room fell silent. And when I say blankety blank, it's just, it's the worst thing you can imagine. 
and it was just like all the oxygen went out of the room. And then all of a sudden the guy leans over and he's like, well, Miss Kirksey, I'm sorry we couldn't help you. You know, and the room clears out and they just leave me in there. And they just move on to the next person. I'm just like, anyway. Um, so I, I've, never, I've never been to another one of those things. If I get them in the mail, I throw them away. Anyway, you should too. Um, so anyway, so God has never made a promise to you in just words. And I know we've all been a part of relationships and been caught in these rooms with a dozen people trying to sell us something and it's just a lot of words. But God is not about words. God is not telling you a promise. And you remember I said that that was 800 years before Jesus came? Well, Jesus came. Jesus has already come. It's not a promise anymore. It's a reality. See, he's not asking you to just believe it. He's asking you to accept it. Because, you know, a lot of people make promises in words, but he made a promise in blood. God's promise to you was in blood. Genesis 1.31 says this, that God saw all that he made and it was very, everybody say very. It was very good. Proverbs 10.22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. If there is anything in your life that is maintained by worrying about it, having anxiety over it, being fearful about it, or if it requires pride to keep it going, it's not from God. It's not godly and it's not your future. If anything in your life is maintained by those things, it is not good and it's not from God. And it's going to become walls that are going to box you into a very small existence. See, God's will for you is a future that is expansive. Remember what he said? He said, enlarge your house. Spread out. Spare no expense. Those words are addressed to you about your future and me about my future. Remember the scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't entered into the heart of man what he's prepared. If your eyes could see, you'd probably abandon ship. If you could see what God has for you, you probably wouldn't go there because it's more and bigger and wider and deeper than you're comfortable with. You'd say, I could never do that. You must have me mixed up with somebody else. You know why? Because we're all wrapped up in our limitations. We look in the mirror and we see the worst of it. We say, well, I can never do this. I can never do that. Because of this, I can't do that. And whatever, whatever. And God isn't limited. By, God doesn't think about any of that stuff. Because all of that stuff is very menial to him. I mean, one, one, one breath and it could all go away. You know what I'm saying? There is nothing too hard for God. He's bigger than anything. So he's not looking at your limitations. What he, but he is consumed with your possibility. Today we're going to wrap it up. If our, uh, uh, can our altar workers come forward? I just want to um, bring our lights down. I just want to give somebody an opportunity this morning uh, to respond to what we're talking about this morning. You may be asking, where is this future? Where is this future that God has promised me? You know, if it's so great and it's so awesome, where is it? Let me ask you something. And this may not be the case, but it may be. I'm going to ask you something. Did God propose to you? Because God proposed to me. 
<laughs> That's kind of weird for a guy to say, but I'm telling you. God came to me on bended knee. And He won my heart. And He presented this future and this hope. And I, at the time, I didn't know how much that, how, how big that could be, you know. All I wanted is just a life free of shame. All I wanted is a life free of depression. All I wanted is a life full of rage and anger. I just wanted to be free. So he came to me and he said, I want to make you free if you'll be mine. I said, absolutely. But little did I know that it was so much more than that. So where is this future? So if God proposed to you, let me ask you this. Did you accept? Have you accepted when God came to you and He presented this future and hope to you, did you accept it? Did you accept everything that goes with it? That was your future knocking, if you didn't. That was your future. That was the future that we were talking about. David said this. He said, Sacrifice you have not desired. But my ear you have pierced. Every once in a while I try to get in an ear piercing scripture. He said, but my ear you have pierced. A pierced ear was the sign of a voluntary servant. An earring was worn by someone who served their time and realized that where they are is so much better than where they could be on their own doing things their own way. They've laid down the worry, the anxiety, the fear about their own future and they put it in the hands of someone who takes care of them take care of everything see God isn't interested in how much you can lay down by the way let me, let me take that a step further the Holy Spirit just spoke this to me did you know that was Old Testament that was David talking about his relationship uh, with the Lord and he said I am your bond servant do you know what Jesus said Jesus looked at his disciples and he said I no longer call you servants I call you my friends you know what that says it says I'm not courting you anymore I call you my spouse. I call you mine. Everything that I have. He said, he said, there's nothing I've withheld from you. Everything that I have is yours. Just thought I'd add that. See, God isn't interested in how much you can lay down. See, David said, David said, sacrifice you haven't desired, but I'm your servant for life. He said, what he's saying is God isn't interested in how much you can lay down. He's only interested in how much of your future and hope you can pick up and that's going to require you to lay down some things so if our if our altar team can come up uh, and uh, I just want to ask you this morning if you have made some plans and it's it's it, it takes worry and stress and anxiety to keep those things running or maybe if you're in here and you've never said yes and he's proposing to you right now and you've never said yes, I want to invite you to come down to this altar right now and someone pray with you. Because it will require us to lay down our own plans. And that's okay. Because we have no way of knowing how our plans are going to work out. But you know how his plan works out. You know. He's already told you. He wrote it in blood. Today we can step into this future or we can step into our own. I invite you right now to say yes to his proposal.
If you've never said yes, I want you to come down. But right now, if you just need prayer because you've had these things going on in your life and you've realized this morning that this is just of your own doing and this is just something that I'm trying to maintain and it's time for me to let go of it and embrace what he has for me, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer. I'm just going to pray. Let's all stand to our feet Lord, as, we're, as we're dismissed. Father, we know you've come today to offer life more abundantly. And we choose that life this morning. Forgive us of our life without you. Forgive us for making you wait for us. We give up our life without you. And we embrace you and your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.